What a great thing to hear such intense fellowship and how guilty I feel to break it up. And yet, I want to break it up. We are in Colossians, uh, moving our way through the book of Colossians. Today, I'm really going to cover the bulk of chapter 2. So, Colossians chapter 2, if you want to join us there. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. I will just just say this, by means of... Uh, introduction, I guess. In January, they they have a, a meeting every month called the Joe Horbaru English Pastors Fellowship, and it kind of moves from church to church. Uh, we're at, we're going to host it in February. It's going to be here, um, and so we're at the January meeting, and uh, a local pastor that I think a lot of is named Dr. M. G. George, and he's at the Malaysia Disciples Church uh, out in Basin Chamberlong. Just I I just love uh, Dr. M. G. Really do. And so we had started Colossians at that point, or we're preparing to start Colossians, and he gets up, and in this meeting, he shares Colossians 8, or Colossians 2, 8 to 23. And so uh, I'm listening. To, well, we, we're doing Colossians. That's coming up very soon, and I'm listening. And then the longer I listen, the more I think, MG's got to come and preach this at our church. Like, I, I really need MG so good. I need MG to come and share this exact thing at our church. And so when he got done, I think it was even maybe... An inappropriate time, I just sort of rushed up to him and said, we're preaching through Colossians, can you please come and share that message with us on January 27th? And he said, uh, let me check. And then, of course, it turned out that he was busy this day, today. He's preaching uh, in Taman Molek this morning. But he said, I will, I will give you my notes. And I thought, okay, you send me your notes, right? So what I have is, uh, I really did take the outline that uh, M.G. George used, and um, he relied heavily on uh, Norman Geisler's notes from the Colossians Life Application Commentary just to bring out these four points. I've read Colossians quite a bit, and I never had really personally seen how these four things uh, do come together like this. And so I'm going to build on his outline. That's my starting point, the, the jumping off point. I just want you to know for sure that if you hear anything really smart in here, that's from Norman Geisler or uh, M.G. George. And if you hear a mistake, then that is my fault. And you just have to forgive me. So Colossians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 8 and then read to the end of the chapter. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, of course that's Christ, for in Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him. Verse 16, 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that are to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the element, elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referencing things that all perish when they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray together. Father, I am uh, really blown away by the, the educational advancements we've seen what we've made in the past 2,000 years. And yet Paul can lay out a chapter that boggles my mind absolutely. And so, Lord, I thank you that you have been uh, working through people to take eternal truths and make them understandable to the average person for uh, thousands and thousands of years. And so we're grateful that you were willing to stoop down and make yourself available to us. Father, were, we, uh, were it necessary for us to figure this out on our own, we never would have made it. And so we thank you for, uh, we, we thank you for apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and evangelists who shared the gospel with us, who taught us what it means to love Jesus, who show us what it means to follow him and to live in community. And we pray that as we look at this this morning, that you would make us, Lord, better believers, that we might be like lights that shine in our dark community. Would you speak to us? Lord, would you speak through me? Would you keep me from error? Would you allow me, Lord, to, uh, to be uh, humbled in this time so that you might be exalted? And so we, uh, Lord, we need you to open up our minds and our hearts. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's how... Uh, Dr. Geisler and Dr. George break down this passage, these four dangers. The danger of Gnosticism, the danger of legalism, the danger of mysticism, and the danger of asceticism. Those are not words that we you just go around using a lot, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to unpack them and show you what we're talking about. Let's start here with Gnosticism, right? You may have heard us using this word. It just comes from the Greek word in the New Testament that was uh, the word for knowledge is uh, gnosis, right? G-N-O-S-I-S. Gnosis is how we would spell it in English. And so the idea was that there are people that have some uh, secret knowledge. And we talked about that as we went through 1 John. Uh, Sam mentioned it last week. We just uh, know that in uh, the 1st and 2nd century was a major problem for the church, the kind of thing that people were constantly coming against. And they would say things like, oh, Jesus uh, didn't really have a physical body. He seemed to be a human, but really he was just God. And so when he walked, he didn't leave footprints. And they had all these kind of complicated things that they uh, talked. And so uh, for us, and especially what Paul is talking about here in uh, Colossians, is that there is secret knowledge that is necessary for us to get so that we can get to God. There's secret knowledge in order for us to get to God. So in particular, 
what people taught was we have humans that are operating on this plane and then we have other levels of existence, level, 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 all the way up to God. And so if a human wants to get to God, the human needs to navigate through all these different levels of angels or powers or rulers or authorities. This person has to know the name of each of these levels, each of the angels or the principality in that level. I have to know name, then the next name, then the next name, then the next name, then the next name, and however many there are until I get to God. That's the secret knowledge that the Gnostics had. And they're telling people, if you want to get to God, you can get to God, and I can give you the roadmap. And Paul is fighting against that. We don't need to know all of these names of different things. If you look in uh, back in chapter 1, verse 26, Paul says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to the saints. This is not something that a few special teachers have, some secret knowledge that you have to come to my church or my school, and especially this. You have to come to me and pay some money so that I can get you the kind of knowledge that you want. Paul says we don't have that. Instead, he is down in chapter 2. He says they're uh, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and, listen, the knowledge of God's mystery... Do you want to know the mystery? He says in chapter 2, it's Christ. Right? What are, what, are the, what's, what are the levels you need to get, navigate to get from here to there? Christ is the way that you get from here to there. And that's the only way that you get from here to there. It's not a, a lot of hidden names or uh, mysteries like that. It is Christ. Any kind of hidden treasure or wisdom is in Jesus. And it's not in all of these other things. The danger to this kind of idea with Gnosticism is that it really appeals to our fleshy sort of nature because we are people who love secrets. We are people who love secrets. Overall, human beings are just like that. We love to know things. I love to know things that other people don't know, right? When uh, we, we had friends that lived in Ethiopia, and they said in Ethiopia it was really common if you had uh, an electrician. Uh, here, Lee, you can help me because you've been people's apprentice before. If you, if you were an electrician in Ethiopia, my apprentice would have all my tools and I would do all of my work with my back to him. Because if he learned how to do electricity, then guess what? He'd quit and start his own business and he would take away from my people. So I would say, screwdriver. Okay. <laughs> that would work, right? By not giving him the knowledge. Thank you so much. That's what, that's what we love. We love secrets. We love to be the people who know things that other people don't know. But Paul warns the church here do not allow yourself to be taken captive. That's what he said. Don't allow yourself to be dragged off into slavery by this. We're not chasing elemental spirits. We are chasing Christ. It's a no mystery. It's no mystery. It is clearly revealed to us. And when people still today start to add in secret kind of knowledge, right? The, the way that I would hear it now is people say, we're going back to the true church, right? Has anyone ever heard someone say that? Oh, we're starting a new church. We're going back to the true church because we've been studying the Bible and we found the thing that all local, all, all uh, modern churches have lost. And so we're, we're getting back to the true church. We're, you know what? We're getting back to the New Testament. We're going to be a, a New Testament church. That's the kind of thing that people say. And I want to be honest with you that the, the true church 
has never been lost. The gospel in the last 2,000 years has often been ignored, but it has never, ever been lost. The gospel has never been lost. Here's the second danger. It's the danger of legalism, right? It's the place where human beings really excel, too, in this area of legalism. You have to make uh, every step in exactly the right way. We're, uh, we're really great about erecting fences around fences, right? If that, if that makes any sense to you. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, out in front of our place here, there's a fence that keeps you from driving into the ditch, but the fence has fallen into the ditch, right? It's fallen into the ditch a number of times over the past few years. And so we would we would put up lots of times a fence, then say this fence is to keep you from going into the ditch, and then we put up a, a concrete barrier that keeps you from running into the fence. Just just so you're very careful. And so this happens in uh, religious circles quite a bit. And so let me just see. It, it, it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Look at this from Genesis chapter 2. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's, Gen- that's Genesis 2. So then in Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes along. And the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And Satan says to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? If Eve is having this conversation, she's already a fool, right? She should not be having this conversation. But when Satan tells a lie about what God said, the answer is no. Did God say you couldn't eat of any tree in this garden? No. And then you just move away, right? But she doesn't do that. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, Genesis 2, did God say they couldn't touch it? No, he didn't say they couldn't touch it. That is a rule that they added. And it's probably not a bad rule, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to eat fruit if you never touch it. You're going to have to touch it at some point, right? So you can't touch it, you can't eat it. So it's a big deal about we have a rule, and then we have a rule to protect our rule. The big deal is this. We, law, we sometimes lose... We lose the difference between what God said and what is our own tradition. This is Jesus quoting from Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. They've lost the difference between what is our tradition and what is the actual gospel. That is why legalism is so dangerous. We have an actual thing that God said. We put up a barrier around it, and we make our barrier the mark of whether or not a person is doing a good thing. It is critical for us to know what is actually in the Word of God and what is tradition. We all come from uh, different cultures. We have different backgrounds, different uh, you know, cultures in our world, but then different church backgrounds as well. Almost no one, I probably no one in this place grew up as a... Baptist. And so you have traditions, right? You're bringing from whatever church, the Dutch Reformed Church or the Pentecostal Church or whatever church you were in, you were Anglican or you were Methodist or whatever kind of church you came from. 
And we have to know the difference between our traditions and what God is actually saying. That's why here in Colossians 2, 11 to 17, Paul's telling them circumcision is not the big issue. Circumcision is not the thing you should be worried about. He's talking about that in 11 through 17. He also says that these things are a shadow of the things that were to come in verse 17. Verse 14, I love this where he says, this, this list of things that I had done wrong has been nailed to the cross. And so I don't have to worry about all of these things anymore, right? People excel at keeping track of, right? And then those just, they tend to be things that are just very culture-oriented, just man-kind-of-centered traditions. And I would argue that when people take on this, this big yoke of legalism, that they lay down the cross that they're supposed to be carrying. And we start to teach our own things. You have to dress a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. You have to act a certain way. You have to go a certain day. Right? All those kind of things. Here's the third. The danger of mysticism. Right? The idea that uh, special revelation has been given to someone from the Lord. Lots of believers wander off and they just become irrelevant because they've latched onto some sort of special word that they got from somebody that didn't get that special word from the Bible. They have a fantastic vision or they have some sort of experience and they draw that maybe out from just hours upon hours of contemplation or in the, the old kind of church history, monks would go out into the desert and not eat or they would only eat certain things and after a while they would start to have visions and they would come back and they would teach, you know what? Every scripture has multiple levels. So here's like the level for you that you need to obey. But if, man, if you're a real believer, you're going to be obeying this secondary, deeper, secret level that other people don't know about. And this kind of thing, it, 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 in my opinion, what my experience, not just my opinion, but my experience, it breeds haughtiness and it breeds division in churches. Because people start to look at others in the church and say, has this guy got it? Has this lady got it or has she not got it whatever it happens to be right there's some sort of fantastic kind of thing does she have it oh well of course she would say that she doesn't have it we set up these different kind of tiers of christianity and when we make one class of believer better than another class of believer it is dangerous and it's counter to what the new testament teaches us they're not people that are better than other people we're in the body together. Leads, this mysticism leads to a kind of spiritual pride that is the opposite of what Jesus taught his followers to do. And when we start to feel sort of a, a, a haughtiness, like somehow we're a better believer than other people around us, we should be really, really concerned about that. The last one's this, the danger of asceticism. Right? It's a, this kind of... A, Extreme sort of doing without or punishing yourself that is popular in certain circles, right? We have uh, people who might brag that they don't eat pork. And then another group that would say, you know what? We don't drink uh, alcohol. We never drink alcohol. And you see books or you especially see articles on the Internet where there's a, a brand new Old Testament diet, right? And we're having we're, – we're having – Daniel's diet. We're just going to eat vegetables and drink water and we're just going to do this and we're just going to do that. And our thing is just from the Bible. For years and years, it was sort of a, a joke in the southern part of the United States that uh, Christians wouldn't go to the movies, right? Or they wouldn't 
dance. That was like a big thing. Oh, man, you're a Baptist. You don't dance. And so people would uh, make fun of that. Uh, I've been to Thailand before. And uh, we, I, we were at a meeting. And I said, hey, let's all meet down in the lobby. And we'll, we'll play cards. And we'll just hang out. And people that live in Thailand say, you can't play cards in the lobby in a hotel in Thailand. Are you crazy? And I'll say, why can't you play cards? In the, like, because good people don't play cards in the lobby in hotels in Thailand. I think, well, I didn't know good people don't play cards, right? We can't play rummy. I'm like, we're not gambling. They said, cards are for gambling. If you're playing cards, you're gambling. Right? So they have their kind of cultural thing. Believe it or not, in Kentucky, still lots of parts of Kentucky. Mark may not want to verify this, but you can be a great deacon in a smaller town church, especially, and smoke cigarettes, right? I've seen people storm out of meetings over cigarettes before. Of course, I can be a good I could be a good Christian leader and smoke cigarettes. But in those same places, you could never be a good Christian leader if you drink a beer, right? People would say, I think we really need to watch that. He's drinking beer. Should he be teaching Sunday school? And someone would say, he grows tobacco. He's a smoker. And we say, everyone here grows tobacco. What's the big deal? In the UK, maybe it's opposite, right? Of course you would drink. People drink. It's a thing that people do. But you would smoke? Ugh, that's... You don't know how bad that is for you? That's horrible. Why would you do that? I went to Russia when um, we took our, I think, our very first kind of overseas mission trip. And I'm teaching away in this uh, church on a Sunday afternoon. I'm just, what I'm really going, it's me and the interpreter. And at some point when you teach with an interpreter, you really get into this rhythm, right? I talk, he talks, I talk, he talks. I like a train. And we're we're going fast. And uh, and I said some uh, kind of example about smoking and drinking. And he just stopped and said, pick something else. No Christians in Russia smoke or drink. And so I'm like, no Christians in Russia smoke? No one in all of Russia, the nation that loves vodka. There are no Christians that drink vodka. He's like, just pick something else. Come on. And so I think, okay, all right. Here's the danger for us when we start talking about asceticism. It is dangerous for us to identify ourselves by what we don't do. The things we don't do. Or we, don't, we don't do that. And when we start to decide also who is good and who's bad based on things that they do or don't do. Not the things that the scripture says, but the things that we've decided this is a thing you should do or you shouldn't do. Right? Because people have their own traditions. They have their own kind of things and so we don't decide who's good or who's bad based on how hard we can be on our bodies oh i exercise every day isn't your body the temple of the holy spirit you treat it like that with fried chicken i can't believe you kind of person would get up in the morning and eat nasi lemak right instead you should be exercising and just having fruit or whatever we just are dangerous and we're in dangerous territory when we start to when we start to measure based on that so what do we do about these four dangers. Let me give you uh, M.G. George's four identifiers and then a response to each. Here's his first one. Secret Christians. We refute these kind of secret Christians with a deep reliance instead on God's word. Our men's Bible study knows it like this, right? Sam will say, get into your groups and you're supposed to look at this and then somebody will say, oh, I see uh, this. He's the son of God. And then Sam, there with his marker, will Turn and say, where do you see that? In this passage, right? And we continually come back to, where do we see it? In this passage. And so I would say, if you have a pastor, you have a Bible teacher, you have a YouTube sermon, you have a podcast that you listen to, you have a friend at work, 
When people bring you something you've never heard before, that doesn't mean that it's not true. But when they bring you something you've never heard before, I think the question is, where do we find that in the Bible? Where do we find that in the Bible? We should have a biblical reason for what we believe. We don't chase after just secret knowledge that we get from people at work. We get our understanding from the Scripture. That's the first thing. The second thing is rules and regulations, Christians. We do not need fences to guard our fences, right? We, we need to, as believers, understand and obey what the Lord has to say. Here in Colossians 2, Paul is saying, you were dead in your sins and God made you alive, having forgiven your trespasses. So when somebody seeks to lay a bunch of rules on you, you should push that off, right? I'm not taking that. Push that off and instead rejoice in the freedom that is yours. Dr. George says it this way. Man-made rules create bondage. They create bondage. That's what they do every single time. Christ has come to set you free to give you full and abundant life. Those kind of rules instead put you in bondage. Right? And I have my favorite ones that I like to make fun of, but it would not be helpful here at this point. But let's have coffee and then we can... Make fun of some of the ridiculous rules I've heard before. Artificial Christians. Artificial Christians. Beware of people who go on with their great plans based on their dreams or on new revelations. Again, had a pastor friend one time who was in his office. I don't know if you know this, but around the world, on Monday mornings, if they work, pastors sit in their office and think, I'm quitting. Today's the day I'm quitting. Right? I've, I've had it. After they make it through Sunday... They, then they get to church on Monday morning and they say, I just can't take one more week of this. That happens all the time. So here's my friend. He's probably having his Monday morning coffee, thinking about quitting. When someone comes in the office and they say, Pastor, I've had a dream. God has revealed to me that you're supposed to resign as the pastor of this church and I'm supposed to be the new pastor. <laughs> and so he said, well, if God confirms that in my heart, I'll be sure to let you know, right? I'll be sure to get with you. It may seem like it's uncommon, but people get these kind of revelations all the, all the time. People, people grab on to like a random prophecy that they heard somewhere. Uh, and this, this is not to be, I, I'm really, really, really not making fun of this, okay? So I do want you to hear. When Malaysia had its 50th anniversary, pastor friends and my WhatsApp just blew up. This is the year of Jubilee. This and this and this specific thing is going to happen in Malaysia's 50th year. And when the year finished and it didn't happen, then people said, oh, we made a mistake in the calculation. Because really, the, this 50 years should have started when Singapore left and Sabah. So we just adjusted the date, right? We just, and I just was brokenhearted about all this, people passing around these things. There, there were good things that we would all pray and would want to see happen in Malaysia. But when people say, I have a word and it doesn't come true, that means something. It means they're a false prophet. And we don't, we don't, we don't latch on to false prophets. But have people have heard them say, God's, God's told me very clearly in my quiet time, I'm supposed to divorce my spouse and marry this lady that I'm having an affair with. And I'm thinking, God never told you that, right? Because that's out of line with what his word says. So how do we fight against this? Here's how. We have relationships with mature believers who love you. If you have a relationship with a mature believer that loves you, when you get a wild idea, and I would hope that you get wild ideas about how to serve Christ all the time, I, I would hope that you would look and say, 
man, why can't we do this or whatever, whatever it happens to be, right? Why can't we be in city square singing Christmas carols? Why can't our church do that? I hope you get like just big, big ideas all the time. But when you have sort of bigger ideas, you should expect that your brothers and sisters in the church are going to provide some confirmation about that. So you have mature people that love you and love the Lord and are growing in their faith. And when you come and say, I really feel like I'm supposed to bust my family up and marry this guy at work, that your mature friend would say, no, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. You have big, big issues that you need to deal with. But that is not the way that you're going to get your answer. Look for maturity and look for some help to come from your believing friends in the church. Then the last one says deprivation Christians. When we're prideful about what we don't do, we are a danger to ourselves and we are a danger to other people. And so we should begin uh, really to mark ourselves by whether we're... Uh... Here's the thing. We, we will start to say sometimes, man, the really great Christians are up earlier than everyone else. The really great Christians never miss a day reading their Bible. The really great Christians... Really, they don't just tithe. They give 15%. They give 20%. They give 50%. We're, uh, we're, we're apt to say this person's a really great Christian because they, um, because they are there every time the church is open. They always do their Bible study. They consistently invite neighbors to the, whatever they're... So we have this set of activities that somehow is the measure of whether or not a person is a really great member of the church. But when we get into who serves the most, who gives the most, who does the most, then we are really kind of on a, a difficult place because what we see from Jesus is in the church, the first are the last and the last are the first, right? He sits and watches some little old lady drop in two copper coins and says, that lady just put in more money than everyone else. So when we count our offering. Right? It's not because we don't look and say, oh, this, man, this is a big water altogether. That must have come from one person. Lord, thank you for that. It's everything with these coins and with these, with these ringgit notes. Lord, thank you because some people are really sacrificing to give and to be part of what's happening here. So in the kingdom, the measures are backward from what we get in the world. And so we don't measure our spiritual walk by how we do or how much we do without. Right? I would hear this from people all the time. I'm so afraid that uh, if I surrender myself completely to God, that He would force me to become a missionary. And I think, if you don't want to be a missionary, why do you think God wants you to be a missionary? Right? You roll up, you know, in the Africa, and you, I'm here, but I don't want to be here, and I wish I wasn't here. That's not a missionary that's going to see a lot of fruit in their ministry, right? We should be looking instead about how much we're doing, and instead be focused on this. What specifically has God told me to do, and am I doing those things? What did God tell me to do? Am I doing those things? And you might say, well, God hasn't told me to do anything. God has told you to do plenty of things, right? They're, they're in here. He's told you to do plenty of things. And so the question is, are you being obedient to the thing that God is speaking to you or not? We don't have our focus on uh, who got here first, or who stayed last, or who carried out the trash the most times, or who washed the dishes, or who played what, or who did any of these things. We have our focus on Christ. How can we abide in Him? How much can we abide in Him? How close to Him can we be? That's what our goal really is. We don't measure against the people that are around us at all. 
Let me pray, and we're going to um, talk about some other stuff as well. Father, we do thank you for the, the, the truth of the cross and of the freedom that we find in Jesus. Lord, because um, I would confess I've, I've been in church for 25 years and I've never seen this passage exactly like this, that these four things just come together out of this place. And so I, I just rejoice in this. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow and continue to learn, and to continue to hear and to continue to have our focus on the scripture. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be abiding in Christ all of the time, loving your word, loving your people that you've put around us, uh, not measuring ourselves by whether we're somehow better than the person next to us, but measuring ourselves against the calling that you've placed on our lives. I pray that you would continue to help us grow. Lord, there are people here who would say, I don't have any mature Christian friends that I can bounce my wild ideas off of. And Lord, I pray that you would help us then to grow in our relationships. I pray we'd be open about those, that we'd be willing to share our time and the details of our lives, to open up our homes and to uh, bring people into our relationship circles in a way that maybe we have felt guarded about before. I pray that you would uh, allow us, Lord, to feel the freedom in Christ and when people want to lay a lot of rules on us or want to uh, pretend like somehow they have secrets that we don't have, that we instead would say, I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ and I don't have to worry about those things. I pray, Lord, for those who might be separated from you today and ask that you would save them. And I pray that, uh, Lord, negative uh, or, or pictures or imposters that are in the church wouldn't be the kind of thing that keeps people out of the church. That they wouldn't look and say, oh, the church is legalistic and the church is just all about their dreams and their visions and all these kind of things. Instead, let us be people who are full of grace and allow the, the beauty of Christ to shine out from us that they might be drawn and Lord would want to be part of your kingdom. We pray that you would speak to us and guide us and Lord be glorified in us. We pray that you would save those uh, that need salvation. We pray for healing on some here again. We pray that you would uh, move, Lord, and uh, help us to hear your voice and to be, uh, Lord, to be uh, showing your might. Would you stretch out your hand and be at work in our midst and in our church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <laughs> it seems like it should be very easy for me to do.